must pray. Lord, thank you that that is true. Thank you that you have come. As we begin this season of celebrating your birth, let us see it with fresh eyes, even today as we look at a text that many know about. Give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear. And Lord, what we, what we know not, teach us. And, and what we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. We ask this in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So we do. We begin this series talking about this great gift that God has given. It's a season of celebrating this long-awaited promise. This promise that God would come in flesh. He is the reason for this season. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the very nature of Christ. Today we're going to look at the coming of the Magi into Jerusalem and what that means what it means to us. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the gifts that the Magi gave to understand the very nature and character of Jesus Christ. And all this is going to culminate on Christmas Eve when we have our Christmas Eve services, 2.30, 3.30, and 4.30, and we celebrate the light that has come into the world and our calling to be that light in the world. After Jesus was born, the Magi, they, they, they came from the east and they sought Christ. They, they saw a sign, and they followed the star. Although they brought great gifts of great value, they themselves had received the ultimate gift. They received the gift of being the first Gentiles to see and to believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ. It was miraculous. The coming of Christ is miraculous. Let me ask you something. Have you experienced the miracle that is Jesus Christ? By that question, I do not mean, do you go to church? By that question, I do not mean, do you have a Bible and have you read it? Not meaning, do you have a Christian heritage? I'm asking, have you experienced the miracle of the birth of Christ in your own soul. Christ has come, and he's come to bring life. This is a miracle. It's a miracle that will change your life. Everything about Jesus is miraculous, and when you come in contact with him, there is a miraculous thing that happens inside of you. So let's look at this. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Kaylee's going to come and read for us all 11 verses. So let's stand in honor of God's Word, and let's follow along as she reads for us our text. Again, a famous story, familiar to most. This is uh, Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all and all and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the where, where the Christ was to be born. They told him Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you of Bethlehem in the land of, Ju- of Judah are by no means 
placed among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Inherit some of the wise men, secretly and ascertained from, from them what time the star had appeared. And he sat them, he, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold the star that they had seen when it rose. When it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, and they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. This, but let me remind you of it again. You can't stop what God has decided to do. You can't stop God. All you can hope to do is join Him. And if you if you refuse to join Him, you're making yourself an enemy of God, and you're going against the very thing that's going to happen. Trust God. Join God in what He is doing in the world. See, before the foundation of the world, God had determined that He was going to make creatures with souls in His image. He, he decided before the foundation of the world that He was going to love those creatures with an everlasting love. He determined to make those creatures with the capacity to choose, knowing full well that they would choose to be treasonous and sin and fall and destroy and cause a curse to come upon his perfect creation. He also determined before the foundation of the world to create the world in such a way that a blood sacrifice could atone for the sins of the people he would make in his image. And before the foundation of the world, God determined that he himself would take on flesh and be that blood sacrifice that would satisfy the righteous demands of his law so that we could be saved from the punishment and the power of sin, and Jesus Christ has come. He came in poverty. He who was of heaven, he who was rich, he who was the Almighty, he became human, he became poor, he came to earth. And God sent him to this world as a gift. This was God's plan, and God's plan cannot be stopped. Have you received this gift? Have you joined in this story that is the story of God? Are you a part of what God's determined to do in the world, which is to bring light where there's darkness? If so, you've received the gift. If not, if not. And you need to give serious consideration as to what you're going to do. Understand and write it down. The gift of God is Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate gift. There's no gift like Him. You're going to get a lot of gifts. There's no gift like Jesus Christ. It makes no sense not to receive with great joy this glorious gift that you could never earn or deserve. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? He said, if you knew the gift of God, the gift of God, he's talking about himself here. Remember, the gift of God is not a thing, it's a he. And who it is, not what it is, who it is, it's a person. Who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, it's a person, him, a male, and he would have given you living water. He is the living water. 
God has placed eternity in your heart. He has placed a longing there for something that is immeasurable and cannot come to an end. There's a hunger in you that can only be satisfied by that which is eternal. And that eternal gift that is the living water that is Jesus Christ has come. Have you received this gift? Here's what we know. God made the world in harmony. And in this broken world, there's pain. Why is there so much pain? Because of sin. When sin entered the world, death entered the world. At the end of the last service, I was talking to a weeping mother who was telling me of a dear friend of hers that she spoke on the phone with yesterday, the late, late afternoon evening. Three hours later, found out that this young mother had died. Friends, we live in a very dangerous world. Our life is but a breath. And this sin is very serious. And this sin creates brokenness and destruction. But we've got good news. We have good news. The word gospel literally means good news. And here's the good news. God has come to take away the sins of the world through his own death. Having been raised, now anyone who will believe in him, the living God, we can pursue and recover God's design. Have you received that gift? Does that gift define you as a human being? Does that gift define you and determine your decisions? Does that gift, does it harness the hope of all that you have? And is that what you are living for in light of his great grace? Understand there are three responses to this gift. And that's what we see in our text today. In our text, there, there are three different kinds of people. Now, those of you who are filling out your, your outlines very diligently right now, let me just say something to you. Relax. I know some of you are going to be fretting in just a moment because there's going to be a blank that we don't fill in. It's going to be okay. We're going to fill in all the blanks today, Lord willing. Unless Jesus returns, we will fill in all these blanks. Now, some of you are sitting next to someone. When there's a blank there, they're going to start getting a little shaky. All right, just put your hand on say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because what we're doing is we're actually going to follow the form of the text. The text is in a, in a, and no one cares about this but me and my professor, a chiastic form. And so what that means is it just goes A, B, C, C, B, A. So it starts off talking about the Magi, and then it talks about Herod, and then it talks about the religious leaders and their response. Then it comes back to talk about Herod again and the Magi and their response. And so if you're just walking along in the scripture, which I highly recommend, then you're going to say, this makes perfect sense. But if you're one of those note takers, you might get a little panicky. I'm just warning you, it's going to be okay. Let's walk through this together. So what are these three different types? The first is the wise. And, and that's what we see in these magi. They're wise men. Now, they saw a divine revelation. And they saw God in, in light of it. Uh, God called them, think about this, God called them in a way that they would understand and in a way that they would be looking. They were astrologers. And so they would study the sky. And so it, it only makes sense that God would speak to them in a way that they could understand. And this is what God has done for us. He's spoken to us in a way that we can understand. The Hebrew writer tells us in the Latin, he's spoken through prophets and in many different ways, but now he has spoken to us in person in his son, Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of God. 
And so here God is being gracious to these magi, to these wise men from the east, knowing that they look in the sky, knowing that if they saw a star that was out of place, that it would, it would pique their curiosity and make them say, something's going on, we need to go find out what is happening here. Now, they understood something of the Israelites and their religion. They knew something of the scriptures. Don't forget, these are the same folks who were the wise men under Nebuchadnezzar and, and the, some of the kings that we read about. They knew about Daniel. They knew about Esther. They knew about uh, Nehemiah. They, they knew about uh, uh, you know, you know, Ezra and, and these, these different, maybe even prophets like Ezekiel. But they knew about it because it impacted their government system. See, don't forget, Cyrus who released the people to come back from Babylon to Israel, his name was in the Bible. 100 years before he was born. Isaiah 44, 28. Write that one down and go make sure I'm not lying to you. Isaiah 44, 28. The name of Cyrus is listed. And the prophet says that Cyrus, the king, would release his people. That was over 100 years before Cyrus was ever born or his name was given to him by his mom and dad. That's what you call a miracle. It's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible. It's one of the reasons why I find it hard not to believe the Bible, because of these miracles that are all the way throughout of, of, of how God was able to prophesy what was coming. So these magi, they were familiar with this. They were familiar with the scriptures of these Israelites. They, they probably knew one of their favorite scriptures. One of, the, one of the favorite known scriptures of the Israelites during that time was Numbers 24-17. How many of you, that's your favorite? Yeah, that's what I thought. But this was one of their favorites. And they would have known him. He says, see, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Remember, numbers written by Moses. This is one of the first revealed words of God. And he's giving this prophecy. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the fort of Moab and break down all the sons of shit. It wouldn't surprise these guys that a star would rise from out of the west to point them to this promised king who would crush the enemies of God. So this star comes up, and what do they do? They follow it. Now, understand, this journey probably took more than 40 days, and it was very dangerous. And I want to say to you that, that if you are having difficulty believing and following and being faithful to Jesus Christ, do not be discouraged. This is a hard journey, and it's a long one. For some of you who don't yet believe, don't be discouraged. It took me a while to believe, too. I sat under great preaching for months and months. There was nothing wrong with the preaching. There was nothing wrong. It was me. I struggled. If you're struggling, don't be discouraged. If you are a disciple of Jesus and you're struggling, don't be discouraged. This is hard. Be encouraged to know it is a process and that God is faithful. These guys were on a long journey. It was difficult. And know that the caravan was, was probably made up of more than just three men. We often associate three wise men because there were three gifts. But these guys were able to upset an entire city. So more than likely, it was probably a vast entourage of people displaying great wealth. These were the first of many Gentiles who would seek Jesus. They were wise men because that's what wise people do. They seek Jesus. So the second kind of person are the troubled and that's what we see in Herod. We need to understand Herod it was not as powerful as we 
he was in, 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 the, in the kind of the early days was like, Herod is probably about two years from death at this point. And everything in his life is going wrong. He is under intense pressure, not only from Rome, but from his own subjects because he's been taxing them with all of these buildings that he's been building that are lavish. So he's got people that, that are under him that are mad, people that are over him that are mad, and he doesn't trust his family because he's convinced they want to take him out and take his power. And he was right. This guy was, he was upset because he'd spent his whole life trying to get a title. He spent his waking hours trying to hold on to something that can't be held on to. A human title. He wanted to be known as the King of the Jews. And finally, he got this title after killing a wife, children, political adversaries, after lying and stealing. And here he is, an old man about to die with his title, fighting for it, and then these guys show up from the east and say, Hey, could you point us to the real king of the Jews? We know you're the pretender. We got this star, and we're looking for the real one. Now, this, the scripture, it's like an understatement. This troubled the people because it troubled him because they knew this man was liable to kill anybody. You know, this is, this is what happens to people who are hurting. They hurt people. You know, he was inspired to do what the devil always wants to do, which is to kill babies. You go back to Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. When given the opportunity, what did, what did Satan want to do? He wanted to kill as many babies as he could. So here again is this troubled man, and what's he want to do? He's killing babies. Can I tell you how thankful I am for our pregnancy center? Next Sunday, we're going to have the opportunity to go over there and walk through it and start praying. And you know what I'm praying for? I'm praying this time next year that there are pregnant women walking around this place knowing that they are dearly loved. And that life in them is, is, is meant to be here and to be loved and taught the Scriptures so that that life can have eternal life. This is the goal. This is the goodness of God that allows us to be a part of what God is all about. Life! Herod was all about death. He was all about power. He was all about his agenda. And he was troubled by Jesus. And can I tell you, before I became a Christian, I was too. One of the reasons why I had difficulty becoming a Christian is because I wanted to be in control. I was fine with Jesus giving me heaven, but I wanted this life and I wanted to be in complete control. You know what? Herod is struggling. And, and everyone's troubled with him because, see, if if Jesus is king, and by the way, he is, that means that I can't be king and nobody else can be king. That means he's Lord, and if he's Lord, then we have to give an account to him. We have to be willing to submit to him. And here's what's even more terrifying. If Jesus came the way the Bible said he would came, that means that he is going to come the same way the Bible says it's going to come. See, God promised that Jesus would enter into the world 
And he described where and how and what it would be like. This is Micah. Here's one, here's one prophecy. Micah chapter 5. It's, it's the one that's recorded in our text today. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Again, before the foundation of the world, God determined that God would take on flesh and to be the king of kings and lord of lords. And where would he be born? Bethlehem and Ephrathah. And don't even get me started on Luke chapter 2 and how God brought that about. Miraculous. Miracle after miracle fulfilling the scriptures. John seven forty two says, again, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was born? Promise after promise fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And, and what is terrifying is to understand if you're troubled by Jesus because you, you don't want to give your life under his authority and grace, there's a real problem there because see, he's coming again. He came to say he will come again to judge. Be warned by the very words of Jesus. Matthew 25 is one of the most terrifying chapters in the, in the Bible. In Matthew 25, listen to the words of Jesus. Watch, therefore, for you know uh, neither the day nor the hour. What's Jesus saying there? He's not going to come at any minute. He's saying, keep watch. They were not watching for the Savior. They'd almost given up hope, as we'll see in just a moment. But look what else it says, Jesus said in Matthew 25. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's coming a judgment. And any who have stood in opposition to the will of God will be judged. If you do not accept the gift, then you will be judged by the giver. It's very serious. It's very serious because our life is about a breath. There's some of you sitting here today who won't see this Christmas. We've seen death in the last few days here, not in our church family, but directly related. It's terrifying. Some of you will not see next Christmas. This is going to be your last Christmas. Are you ready to stand before the judge? Listen to the words of Jesus in verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment. This is real. The same promises that God made were fulfilled. And they are now pointing to a coming judgment. If you will receive the gift, though, the righteous will enter into eternal life. This is the gift of God. Don't be troubled. Rest in Christ. Accept this gift. So there were those. There were those who were wise. There were troubled ones. And then there were the religious. Jesus calls them the chief priests and scribes. Now, the chief, in verse four, in verse four, in, the chief priests they gave oversight of the, of the uh, temple activities, and the scribes they were in charge of interpreting the Old Testament. So Herod calls them together in this unusual circumstance. Again, verse one. This huge entourage of rich, wise people have come asking about Jesus. And their stunning question is, where is the Christ, the Messiah, to be born? And this was a big deal, apparently, to everybody but them. And I want you to think about this. These guys didn't seem to care. These guys knew the promises of God. I mean, they knew the very first promise of God that we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God speaks to the servant, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. This is God telling Satan, there's a war coming between you and the offspring of Eve, and he shall bruise your head, you shall, uh, shall bruise his heel. I like the idea, he will crush your head. God promised Satan that there was a king that was coming 
was going to crush the head of Satan. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Abraham, the Abrahamic promise. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How will that happen? Through the King of glory, through the King of heaven, through the King of kings. There's this one that they knew was going to come, that it would come through the line of Abraham, and not just the line of Abraham, but specifically through the lineage of David, Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God speaking to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. No human being can rule forever. Your throne will be established forever. He's sort of making a big point here. There's going to be an eternal being who will come through the line of Eve and Abraham and David who will reign forever and ever. And then we see Isaiah the prophet, and we're going to look at this closely next week. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, of his peace, there will be no end. You would think that they'd be excited about this. They weren't. Was it because they were afraid? Was it because they knew that if they, they showed that they cared, that hair would kill them? Maybe. The chief priests and the scribes didn't care. Let me ask you something to you. I mean, I'm, I'm pouring out all these prophecies that point to the miracle of Christ. Has your heart grown dull to the miracle of Jesus? Have you lost the fascination with the power of God? Have you just kind of tucked it away in a category that says, hmm, church stuff, good. We'll get to it if we get to it. See, religious people are apathetic. You might write that down. The religious are apathetic. These guys were six miles from Bethlehem. A brisk walk, they could have been there in less than an hour and a half. There is no, there is no sign that a single one of them went to see what was going on. What happened? They were distracted. There was a tyrant that was calling their attention away. Guys, as long as you live on this planet, there's always going to be a tyrant calling your attention away from the King of Glory. There's always going to be something that's whispering in your ear, telling you, don't focus on him, focus on this, and realize you're a loser. And realize nobody cares. And realize there's nothing good. And, and, and you don't need to have any hope. There is all around us these, these little things that keep sparkling and saying, this is better, this is better, when the King of Glory has come. And we keep getting disappointed over and over again by the tyranny of these temporary things. These guys missed it. They missed it. Is that you? Can you quote Scripture and miss Jesus? Can you be in church and not be excited about Jesus? Can you call yourself a follower of Christ and live like you're not? These guys could. So you got the religious, then you got the troubled. So here we are back to Herod, verses 7 and 8. And this guy basically lost his mind. He's depressed, he's angry, he's anxious, he's scared. Everything that, that he thought mattered 
was being taken from him? Life did not turn out the way he wanted it? Because if you're banking on your life turning out the way you want it to in order for you to have any peace, you are in trouble. And you are unstable. This this very troubled man was a very unstable man because he was counting on an earthly thing to satisfy the eternal longing of his soul. And so long as any human being is counting on a temporary thing, they will always be unstable because what you're hoping on can't last. And when it falls through, and it will, you will fall. It's no way to live. This very angry, very vengeful, very frustrated man caused so much suffering and pain. And that's what happens when when you do not live as the wise. What do the wise do? Well, the wise are worshipful. The wise, they they seek Jesus. I want to show you something. Look in verse 9. I've I've studied this for years. I've never seen this before. Look at this in verse 9. In verse 9, apparently the star became unavailable to them the star they had seen. So at some point, they couldn't see it anymore. And look at verse 10. Look at how they became exceedingly glad when the star showed up again. Isn't that funny? I've never really noticed that the star disappeared on them. When did it disappear? When they stopped focusing on the revelation of God and started trusting in the words of human beings. The star was in front of them. They didn't need to go ask a bunch of religious. They didn't have to go ask a king, a so-called king. They didn't have to go ask human beings. God had already revealed the truth. I say this to say, this morning on television, there are very talented speakers giving very worldly words of half-truths. They're saying things like, you can have your best life now. They're writing books that say, no matter who you have to hurt, and no matter what you have to do, you deserve to be happy. So be happy and don't worry about everybody else. It's those lies that the world the world offers and throws us off. I prefer outright lies because you can acknowledge them. It's those half-truths that will make you sick. When they took their eyes off the revelation, they got lost. Guys, we don't have a star. We have the Bible. We have the Word of God. Their revelation was taking them to Jesus. This revelation takes us to Jesus. If you start listening to worldly wisdom instead of the Word of God, you're going to shipwreck your faith. You're going to lose sight of what life is all about, which is Jesus Christ. And you're going to miss out on the joy. These guys, thankfully, even though they took their eyes off the revelation, God never took their eye off of them. And in, and in, the, in, in His grace, once they got away from that human junk, that humanism, again, the revelation was there. And look what happened to them in verse 10. They, they followed this revelation, and where did it lead them? It led them to Jesus Christ. And when they saw Him, look what it says in verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Look what it says in verse 11. They fell down and worshipped Him. Look what they did. They offered Him gifts in verse 11. All right, I want you to look at that. Take a checklist on yourself real quick. Does that describe you? Do you have exceedingly great joy? 
Are, are you a person who is just in your heart falling down before the Lord? Are you the person who says, my God is the God of great treasure. He is the pearl of great treasure. And I will gladly sacrifice to serve His purpose in the world because can I tell you something? You can't stop what it is God has decided to do. And you can either join it or you can miss it. If you miss it, it will crush you. This gracious God who was born in a manger is coming back a ruling king and only those who have followed him and received this gift will live with him and rejoice with him forever and ever. You look at these three, the wise, the troubled, the religious. Which one are you most like? Which one would describe you today? I pray it's the wise. But I know it could very well be the troubled. Or just the religious. And if you search your heart and you say to yourself, I'm not excited about Christ like I once was. He's not the most important reality of my existence. He's not who I serve and what I'm all about. If I'm honest, it's all about me. It's all about what people think of me. It's all about something else. And friends, that leads to a troubled, religious, miserable life. And it may very well be today you need to come and say, Lord, forgive me. Give me a hunger for you. Please bless me on this journey. I need your help. Maybe that your head, your heart is heavy because as you're thinking about your own life, you're thinking about the lives of some others that need some prayer this morning. Good news. God is listening. He wants you to join with Him through prayer. Come. It's the door of Christ the Lord. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, right now there's some who need to come and, and ask you to renew their faith. Some who need to begin a faith, a journey with you in Christ by repenting of their sin and their idols and those worldly substitutes and saying, Lord, I, I want you in my life. I want you to rule my life. Some very kind and good religious people in this room who no longer have a heart for you, Lord Jesus, would you today show them that, help them to see they're missing it. For those who want to just come and pray for those that their their heart is hurting for today, hear them, Lord. Hear them as we as we worship and adore you.